One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, This is our first uh, show of the 2019 year. Uh, and excited to to be here with you. I took a a, a couple of weeks. Uh, we weren't on the air last week, uh, so that we could have a little bit of that work life balance that we talk about all the time. Um, and so that was nice. But what, what I'm finding, and I don't know if it's the same for a lot of uh, of you out there listening to the show, is that it's kind of hard to to get the gears going again. I, I rarely take time uh, to myself like that, and and to be able to take a break and breathe. Um, you know, the rest of this week, I really started back to work on on Wednesday. Uh, it was hard to get the engine moving. It was hard to get things uh, kind of kicked back off again. So happy that you're with us. Uh, hope that uh, you're over the, the the holiday hump is what we call it here. And uh, that, that uh, your 2019 is starting off fantastic. We got a great show today for you. Um, our guest is a seasoned enterprise agile coach and scrum trainer with more than 15 plus years of guiding successful agile adoptions and 30 years of experience in business management and software development. Uh, she is a, a agile leader um, and she is, is the founder of Advanced Project Management Incorporated. She's also an agile trainer and coach. Let's bring her to the show. How about Tam, uh, Tamara Runyon? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it wrong now that I've already checked with you. <laughs> Tamara, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Rick, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. So what got you interested into Agile? Oh, this, my journey, my Agile journey actually started in 2003. And I was, I was a project manager down in Florida. And there was a list of outstanding projects that we had in the company we're working on. And my name was associated with 17 of them. So wow. I was looking for a better way, and I went out, and at that time, they were the listservs. You remember the listservs? Oh, went out yeah. looking for different answers and came across this thing called Agile, and I got lucky enough to go to the first Agile conference in 2003 in Salt Lake City, Utah, and the light bulb went on for me, and it's been a journey and exploration ever since. So I... Um, and to work, brought information back along with my colleagues, and we started working together, bringing in and learning more about this. Uh, in 2006, I became a certified Scrum trainer, and so I've been traveling the world, working with teams, teaching classes in this area for well for a good long time. And so I've seen a lot of different teams and a lot of different areas of Agile and, and organizations looking to make the change to try to, to get better. Um, it's, been, it's been an exciting journey. Yeah, and, and you were actually recommended to us. We, we got to meet through Erica Flora. Yes, at Beyond 20. Yeah, Erica's, Erica's been a, a longtime friend. And so we had similar journeys. Uh, we have a lot of friends of the show, John Stenbeck, um, you know, myself, Erica, we, we all kind of, I don't want to say fell into Agile, but understood that, you know, Agile is, is this different approach where, um, it, to me, I, I guess the way I like to break it down is th- there's no possible way we can plan something out for the next 18 months. And the fact that we thought we could, that's just ludicrous. That's just dumb. Um, now, obviously, <laughs> we can have goals, but what, what that means, right, over the next 18 months, we, we don't know. That planning horizon is too broad. Um, and so, 
when you said you had these 17 projects, did you guys come back and start to try to immediately look at that work and, and apply it there? Or is this something that you grew into at another organization? No, we, we took it back and immediately looked at how we could grow it there uh, down in Florida and chose a pilot project to work on and brought in a coach. That was one of the most important things I, I learned early on was get a coach, get a coach, get a coach, somebody who's done it before that can help you through the pitfalls, that understands it deeply. Um, you know, and I, I have over the years discovered that that is just so true because the, the psychological pull, the gravitational pull in the old way of thinking, because this really does involve a mindset shift, uh, a, a difference in the way of thinking about how work gets done and how people relate to each other and what our roles are and how all of us um, need to behave changes in our behavior that result from this to be able to, to be successful in today's world. Yeah, and we, we say that often on the shows that Agile is not a methodology. It's a mindset to, to definitely grow into. Um, I'd like to have a little fun with you. And, and you know, I know that I've got feeder questions and we'll, we'll certainly get into those. Uh, but ever, whenever I have an Agile coach, um, I always like to run things by them that, that have been said to me prior to my Agile journey. And just mm. get your your instant reaction, uh, you know, without preparation. You okay with that? You want to you want to play that game? game? No, I'm I'm fine. Let's play a game. All right. <laughs> so the 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 first one is we we can't tell you when we're going to be done because we're agile. Well, I don't find that to be true. The question, we usually know we usually know how much money we have to spend, and um, we knew we know how much it costs to have our people working. So cost and schedule are often known. The question is, we know what, what we, we, you know, we know how much time we have. The question is, what is the scope we can actually finish in the amount of time we have? Or it's, it's a scope driven, like we don't, this is a brand new project. We don't have any, or a brand new product or feature. So it needs to be scope driven. Then the question is how much time we don't know, but we can measure our progress as we go along and use that to get some pretty good forecasts. In fact, you can actually use traditional project management tools with this. Um, I wrote a paper, I co-wrote a paper in 2006 about using earned value management to be able to forecast um, the, cost at, the cost of complete and estimate at complete as well as your CPI and SPI, traditional project management tools for, you, for doing exactly this. So I've heard people say, well, we don't know when we're going to be done, but usually what that means to me, that's a flag for me saying, you're not planning enough. You're not actually taking advantage of planning. So be- because we're agile doesn't mean we don't plan. What it means is we don't do all our planning up front when we know the least. We actually need to do planning all the way through. And so if we do constant planning and we adapt to changes as they happen, we're going to have much better plans and have much better data to make decisions. And, and that's exactly it, right? The, the other one we like to throw is um, we don't have to document anymore because we're agile. What do you think of that one? Uh, and I love that one. You know, the, the value actually, the, va- the agile values don't actually say that. It's not that we don't do documentation. It's that we value working software over comprehensive documentation. We, we document, but we document just enough. And we document just enough to help us make good decisions. And see, I was, I was walking this through with a client currently. We're, we're doing an implementation, right? And, and um we're, we're doing a design in, in the byproduct of the tool, it'll give you a schema, it'll give you uh, workflows, it'll, it'll give you everything you've done, but it's, it's after you've done. And, and they can't get around this, 
um, design as you go and, and, and uh, you know, document the design at the end. They, they want to, right, the old school project management is, no, 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 we got to get all the business requirements, then we're going to get all the technical requirements, then we're going to design everything and get it signed off and then go build. And, and what you end up building is never what you documented in the beginning, which is the silliness of, of the way we used to do things versus allowing architecture spikes, allowing you to, to, to plan and fail a little bit to understand what the best direction is and then document the outcome so that we know what we're going to do in the end. Does that make sense? Um, I actually like to think of it, it makes sense, and I like to think of it in terms of we need to be able to explore to be able to respond to change. So we'll plan, we'll plan just enough. We know what we need to do here, and let's keep it small. And then we're going to explore what do we actually need to make sure that we're what we're building is truly fit for use. I, change is inevitable, and so we need to be able to respond to that change quickly. If we have planned everything out, out front, again, when we know the least, then, and documented it, it's very difficult to respond to change in a meaningful way. If, on the other hand, we document as we go. So it's not document at the end, it's living documentation. We document it as we build it. We, we gather those requirements and validate those requirements on an ongoing basis. And then as we build what we've gathered and validated in terms of requirements, as change gets built in, and if you're using, say, a product backlog that acts as a, a built-in change control device, we can actually build something that is truly meaningful instead of what we thought we needed 18 months ago. It's what we truly need right now. And then if we continue to document and build our documentation on, as we go and make that part of our definition of done, creating the documentation that we're going to need, then we've actually documented what was built rather than what we thought we were going to build or what we think we have built. Do you see the difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, you said it much more eloquently than I did, but exactly where we were headed. It's, it's when, when change occurs in a, in a standard project management waterfall world, then you've got to change all the documentation before you change the tool. Here, basically, you, you don't die. Like for me, I won't document the decision uh, of an architecture spike until I'm through the architecture spike because I don't know what the end result is going to be. Um, so speak about that for a second, the use of architecture spikes or the use of exploration and failing in the Agile world and the importance of that. I like to think of it as learning fast. So we're building in feedback loops, and feedback loops are the underlying construct that makes, that makes Agile work. It's what allows us to respond to change. And so by building in these feedback loops, we're going to try this and see what happens. We're going to try that and see what happens. Instead of assuming we know all of the details up front, we are able to actually shift when we need to shift. And so by using architecture spikes, as we, as we go, we can um, actually bring in the latest and greatest if, we need, you know, if, if that's what is called for. Something that we may not have known 18 months ago in terms of how we're going to build something. And that and allows us to be able to, to be truly competitive, which is what our, part of our end goal is. Well, I think it, 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 I love all of that. One of the things that I like to also do is try to eliminate the risk by pushing the riskiest options up into an architecture spike earlier in a sprint. Because then that, mm-hmm. I mean, how many times have we been at the crux of a project, we've been working on it 13 months, and one of our core assumptions that we thought was going to work didn't work? Right, and, 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 and we have, we have that. documentation that shows that it works, but it doesn't. 
and you know they can spend a year and a half documenting it and then it takes two months to prove that that actually isn't going to work that's happened before and it happens all the time <laughs> and why why this methodology <laughs> and, and mindset is really starting to to take over the the standard project management. So we're going to continue down this and then we'll actually get into the topics that I promised we'd talk about, but thank you for having a little fun and playing with that uh, with us. But um, we are going to take a quick break right here. We'll be right back with Tamara Runyon, uh, our agile coach that uh, actually you can also check her out and, and go find her at advanced project management incorporated. She's the founder, agile you- trainer and coach. Go ahead. Uh, my website is actually AppliedScrum.com. AppliedScrum.com. So go check her out there. Uh, while we're on a break, we're going to take a quick two minutes, pay some bills. We'll be right back at the Work-Life Bounce with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late, on budget is now too expensive, and today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality. So you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management. From CA. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And welcome back to the Work-Life Balance. Uh, if you are interested at all at being mentored by one of the greatest people that, that I've ever met, uh, Paul Martinelli is going to be leading a, a uh, really, it's a 16-day intensive study of the, of the book, Think and Grow Rich. It's completely free. Uh, it's going to be offered. He is the uh, president of the John Maxwell team. And it's going to be open to non-members of the Maxwell team. Uh, I actually got to do this study last year with him. Uh, I'm going to sign up and do it again myself. It is an absolute, uh, just life-changing program. And again, it's completely 100% free. So you can reach out to me at rick at rickamorris.com. If you're interested, we'll get you details on how to join that. Coming back to the show, um, we've got Tamara with us today. We're talking about Agile. And uh, really, one of the things you wanted to discuss, Tamara, was was nuances of agile leadership in our VUCA world. What is what is VUCA? What is VUCA? My understanding of the term VUCA actually originated in the U.S. military, but I, it, I'm seeing it more and more in business literature. And what it really stands for is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And some of the the characteristics of these different items. And this definition, these definitions come from a Harvard Business Review article on January, February of 2014. Talk about volatility being where the challenge is unexpected or unstable uh, and maybe of unknown duration. It's not necessarily hard to understand, but it is difficult to pin down exactly. Then there's uncertainty, which is a lack of information where change is possible but not necessarily a given. Another aspect of this is complexity, where the situation has many interconnected different parts and variables. And the last, the last portion of this is ambiguity, unclear causal relationships that you and where you face unknown unknowns. End quote. And the the business environment that we are faced with now is more and more complex and fast moving. Moving it, it definitely fits that that VUCA you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguity. And we need to, we really need to shift our thinking to shift, to be able to respond to this, to be able to act um, compellingly and completely within this. So we have to actually shift, uh, shift from being more of managers of systems and managers of people to being leaders, and and you you just you we were laughing on the break and when you mentioned earned value management how how my friend would have passed out now you just hit my hot button in in the terms of leadership so when you talk about leadership um, what's really the difference between management and leadership to you? There's a great quote here it's um, from Forbes Inc. out of 2015 that uh, I really like that I can kind of keep it up in front of me it says leaders influence managers direct. Because so many of our management processes actually focus on controlling and, di- and directing people and systems. So many of our, our management processes are actually developed um, long-term over when we, we were working and doing piecework rather than the kind of thought work that people do now. We, ha- we face much more complexity in, both within the systems that we're working in, the, company, the organizations we're working in, and the products that we're working on, and the environment that we're doing that within. Look at the amount of change that has happened. I mean, we were just, have, we were just joking just now about listservs. I mean, when you think back, that, there's been an awful lot of change in how we communicate from the days in 2003, 2004, when we got onto to chat boards and listservs. Think about, think about how much change has been there. 
And so oh, even, when we need to even better, right? Bulletin board systems, <laughs> right? Go ahead. I remember that. Well, I, re- I remember them, but I work with people that don't, right? That that have never actually been on a listserv. So there's there's been a lot of change and a lot of complexity added, and we need to be able to respond appropriately and shift our thinking. And it it really does come down to that mindset shift. There's nuances there, though, in how leaders behave. And there's this great book that I've been reading called The Culture Code by Daniel Coyle. It's just recently come out. The Culture Code, The Secrets of Highly Successful Groups. And he just nails so much of what I've been trying to get my head around as I work with executives from different companies as they move forward in their agile journey. And when he talks about there, he talks about um, different pieces that come together. He has three main ideas in his book. One is about building safety. And that's to generate bonds of connection and belonging and identity so people feel safe to speak up. He refers a lot to Amy Edmondson's research on psychological safety and performance. The second aspect that he talks about in this is about sharing vulnerability to generate trust and cooperation. And I like to refer back to uh, Brene Brown's work on the power of vulnerability. She's got some awesome stuff there. And establishing purpose is the third part that Daniel Quill brings together. Um, And using narratives to create shared goals and values, providing that vision. And this is how we as leaders can influence our organization. So it's not that we're controlling people or we're controlling systems. Yes, there still is room. We still have to have management. Management is not dead. But it's much more about leading through influence and working um, working on the system to provide the safety, uh, the safety. And that is done through our behaviors as leaders. And leaders throughout the organizations, and I don't just mean at the at the C-suite level, I mean leaders throughout different organizations. I want to make a little bit of a differentiation between what psychological safety is versus what trust is, because I struggled with that. The idea, well, I, I just assumed they were the same thing, but they really aren't. They're related, but they're not exactly the same. Psychological safety is, is something that is create, created at a group level. It's, it's more about how I feel I will be treated by the group. Will I be treated and met with openness, empathy, and respect? It's a shared belief that we, that we are all working together and that we can bring up uncomfortable topics. Whereas trust, trust is much more on an interpersonal level. It's more about how I feel about you. Trusting is Trusting someone means you think they're reliable and that you have a confidence in them and you feel safe. Trust is something that is built over time. It can be broken in a finger snap, but it is built over time between people. So there's that interpersonal level trust and there's the group level of psychological safety, the idea that I can bring up uncomfortable ideas or I can make suggestions or I can dare to, to, to point out a mistake that perhaps a leader, my boss is making that kind of thing. So they are, they are different. And, and so I love the do idea. you think that one can exist with the other? Or? I think you can't have trust without a, a level of psychological safety. That's my personal belief. I think that safety is part of it. But being able to identify how important that, that psychological safety is for organizations, if we want to, to create collaborative cultures we have to be able to behave and model and model our behavior in such a way to create that psychological safety um, and trust. And 
there's some good ideas here on how we do it. But the real, one of the real aha moments for me was it's, it's our behavior as people, as leaders that, that underpin this, that truly create this collaborative culture rather than the, the processes that we put in place or the just, or the vision that we put in place. That's only part of it. We have to actually model the behaviors ourselves. And that's, My, a, that's a big part of servant leadership, right? It's a big part, and that's exactly where I started from. We talk about servant leadership in Agile, particularly in Scrum, as Scrum Masters in Servant Leadership, but also in Agile. And we talk about um, collaboration and self-organizing teams, and this is where all of this is, is really co- grown out of. So as leaders at different levels, we have to embrace a growth mindset. We have to focus on our employees' well-being or our, our people's well-being rather than just focusing on the bottom line and short-term profitability. If we ignore our people's well-being, we are not going to get the collaborative culture, the creativity, the, the innovation that we're looking for to be able to survive in this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, ambiguous space that we all are now in. So Carol Dweck talks about her, talks about difference in mindsets. She talks about fixed mindsets and growth mindsets. Um, and in, she recommends that enable to, that you have to have, as a leader, you have to have a growth mindset to create a, and to do that, you have to, to, it's part of creating a culture of self-examination with open communication and, te- and teamwork. And the only way to truly do that is to deliberately foster psychological safety. Yeah, the quote that, that always stuck out for me that was my aha moment came from Maxwell, and, and he said, you certainly can be successful by yourself. There's a lot of things you can do to be successful, but you can never reach a, a level of significance, whether that's impacting others or, or creating something truly significant. You can never be significant without a team. And once you taste significance, success will never satisfy. And that, that was kind of that driving force for me to really start to dig in to understand the servant leadership style. Um, and, and really what that means. Uh, one thing, and, and we've got a couple of minutes here, so I'll, I'll tease the audience, then we can come back and discuss it, but I'll give you a chance to, to think about the response there, uh, Tamara. One of the biggest things um, that I'm seeing in the Agile world is uh, a fear uh, of, the, of the workers, the project manager, certain people in certain positions um, are fearing the, the change. And, and one of the biggest questions I get all the time is, you know, where does a project manager fit in an agile world. And I said, well, it always depends on what kind of project manager you are, right? Because there's, there's project managers that are phenomenal planners that are just, you know, great at charts and graphs and, and following the process of project management. But then you've got the influential project managers, the people that get the team autonomy through influencing through servant leadership. And to me, those people are fine. They, they fit exactly into to the agile world. And so I'd love to get your comments, but we're going to take a quick break right here. We'll be right back with Tamara Runyon. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. 
Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CA PPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged all while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA project and portfolio management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon and hitting our third segment with Tamara Runyon, uh, who has, her website is appliedscrum.com. And we've been talking about just agile leadership management. And, and right before in the break, I, I dropped the comment that, you know, I think the number one skill set a, a project manager should always work on is their influence. And we talked about influence and servant leadership. And I just wanted to give Tamara a chance to, to comment on that. I think, I think influence, leading by influence is key for servant leaders. And we need to have servant leaders at all levels of the organization if we're going to be able to respond, respond to the the complexity and changes um, that that we have in, in business today. And so one of the key things about servant leadership, in my opinion, and if you look at some of the different models, like if you go back to Robert Greenleaf's work um, in on servant leadership, you'll look at it and you'll notice that it's really all about people and it's all about building community. It's about creating, creating trust. It's about... Um, working with people and sharing leadership. It's not about authority, management, um, dictating or controlling at all. It, it's, almost the, it's almost the complete opposite of that in terms of, and so to be able to foster the kind of culture that we need, collaborative culture that we need to be able to, to actually respond to the level of complexity that we deal with 
every single day and to be able to move in the directions that we want to to be successful as organizations, both at a project level, at a team level, and an organizational level. We have to be able to lead through influence. And to do that, I, I bring it right back to um, that psychological safety and trust and vulnerability. And to be able to, to de- help develop trust, leaders actually have to show vulnerability. Brene Brown's got a lot of great work out there about that, but there are some some key things that you can do to help, you know, show vulnerability and the and, show, and build that trust. Asking for feedback in an open and honest way. Um, over communicating your expectations. What is it? What is the goal? Making sure that everybody is on the same page and listening. Deliver. And, you know, if you have negative stuff that you have to deliver, make sure you deliver it in person. And this because it that works because it helps deal with the tension up front, and you can help avoid misunderstanding and create shared clarity. You need to focus on that clarity and connection. Uh, everything is not always going to be roses, but if you've got something difficult to deal with, try to do it in person. One of my big aha moments as I'm as I'm digging deeper and deeper into these areas is the power of proximity, which actually goes directly against uh, the trend that we have for um, geographically dispersed teams. It's harder and harder. It's really hard to actually uh, generate this psychological safety and build up trust through showing vulnerability when you are you're physically distant from from your teammates teammates so as a as a project manager as a leader you need to be you need to actually be aware of these things and focus on them because doing what you can do in the situation that you're in to be able to develop the, this feeling of connectiveness and connectivity and belonging i feel that's the biggest thing that we can do is actually help the team feel connected, help them feel that they belong, and help them understand that they can solve, you know, they have the power to actually solve problems. They are empowered to do this. And so with that, though, right, the vulnerability, I I think, also has to open up the door of being self-aware. Absolutely. a A lot of times when I'm getting called into organizations to assist with agile transformations, they they they're down the path and they're saying it's not working, right? That that something's not working, something's not right. Um, and when you dig into that, a lot of times it is at the executive layer, um, from a communication vulnerability, leadership, um, understanding all of that stuff. So, what advice do you have for leaders in agile or or organizations that want to go agile? Um. The root of my advice is really is that Agile isn't for other people. Agile is for everybody. It's not that they need they need to change their behavior. It's all all the way from the top, all the way through the organization, and that the the leader's behavior matters more than anything else. And so, some of the behaviors that as leaders that we have to do from the C level on down, and I'm I'm not saying this is just at the at the project level, is to establish credibility and have that clarity of vision. Be very, very clear in what are the goals. Where are we trying to get to? Um, use Simon Sinek's uh, golden circle. He talks about start with the why. Be very, very clear about why we're doing this. And then then you can focus on the how and then I'll work with the what. Um, I, I, my, I have a very similar experience. I have very similar experiences to yours where I, I feel when I go into organizations that are having trouble, what I find is that there's a lot of fear. And the fear is, 
what am I supposed to do now? I, you know, I've, I've been always been brought, been working in, here's how I work, and now you're asking me to change how I work. What does that mean for me? Do I still have a role here? Do I still have it? And that creates a lot of different behaviors. And so we need to actually focus on, on having that level of self-awareness so that we have that confidence to be able to, share, to be vulnerable, to say, I don't have the answers. Let's figure it out together. What do you think? And some of the things that I coach, I coach the leaders that I work with to do is to pay attention to the ratio of how much time you're talking versus how much time other people are talking. Make sure that you're listening, that, that, that people are, are, feel comfortable in talking and bringing up ideas and, cha- and sharing these different things. They, ha- they feel safe enough to be able to do this. Um, take, look at um, bar setting behaviors and figure out um, exactly what it is, where you want, you want the group to go and make sure you communicate that over and over and over again, not, not in a nagging way, but in a here's where we're going, let's figure out how do we get there together and that's part of that influence and you can't do that without a level of self-awareness. You have to be open and you have to be able to be willing to be, to be vulnerable and not have all the answers. And so there, I think there's really two things behind that then, right? So number one, uh, one, one of my favorite statements uh, is we're going agile just because we want everything faster. I, I love that one. That's, that's, I think, at the top of my list. Um, but when you're working with an executive, you know, I've, I've worked with uh, several and, and uh, that, that basically say, well, this is the way I am, you know, and I got to where I'm at by being this way. So why am I going to change? Um, what's, what's kind of coaching or, or have you run into that and how did you overcome that? I haven't actually run into that that particular one, mostly because the folks that I'm working with have come to me and say, we need to change, we know we need to change, help us do that. And so when I am working with them and I'm sharing, here's, here's what needs to shift. Instead of working on the people, you're working on the system. And the ways that you're working on the system is by allowing, um, by allowing uh, people to be involved. You're going to be. You're going to set up training. You're going to set up coaching. You're going to um, posit, you know, role model the kind of behavior that they want to have. You'll create. You'll help create support groups. You're working on the system, and the people within the system are working on the problem to help do this. If that does that make sense, the way that I'm saying it? No, it absolutely does. Absolutely does. Um, and so, it's good that you haven't run into to, to that kind of level because that level of resistance to me is is kind of that red flag that. This really isn't going to be successful because at the end of the day, it's still autocracy um, and not ready to to move into um, kind of that realm that that needs to exist for agile to be successful. Um, what are some I agree. of the? And it's not that I haven't run into I haven't run into um, resistance. I absolutely have. At, at Intel, we used to call it the the uh, permafrost of middle management. But when you go and you start unwrapping that. What you find underneath is fear, and very often, and what I find is that change is happening down at the levels of we're building these products, and change is, you know, and, and Angela is agreed, and yes, we're going to move in this direction up at the at the top, but middle managers are still being held to the same uh, metrics uh, of of success that they were before. Those have to change too. The system actually has to adapt, and and be adapted to be able to allow it to flow. 
Otherwise, you've got that you've got that resistance that's created by a, a blockage, and that blockage very often happens that so there. So, what I do is I'm encouraging I'm encouraging sea level folks to actually work on the system itself rather than trying to work on the people and and showing them the different aspects that have to be addressed. And they don't have to be all addressed at once. This is not an all or nothing. It's very much an evolution. But here are different aspects that you're going to need to address over time and where do we want to start and what makes the most sense for the situation that you're in now. Yeah, you, you definitely have to... Fear. One of the biggest nails on the head that, that, that I see is is upper management says we're going agile. The lower, you know, the, the teams are all for it. And we call it the fuzzy middle layer. I like what you call it permafrost. Yeah, permafrost. Yeah, yeah. We, we call it the fuzzy middle layer. But the the biggest thing that I see is you know, why are you still asking for waterfall reporting when you're taking mm-hmm. the organization to agile? And the, and the idea that it means everybody else change. I don't have to change. Everybody else changes and then, then and passes me the results. It doesn't work like that. You have to lead your organization through this change, and you have to do it but through your behavior, among other things, and what you pay attention to. And recognize that, that to create this system of flow, be truly innovative and collaborative to get you where you want to go, to be able to, to be competitive in this VUCA world, you have to work on the system and you have to be able to work on the system. You have to work on your own behaviors so that you're modeling it. And that means having that level of self-awareness that you were talking about, Rick, being able to show vulnerability, having, you know, good EQ, emotional quotient, emotional quotient um, skills, and being aware of how your behavior is impacting other people. And I love the, the fact that you use the word connection too, right? Connected. Um, because they have to stay and be connected. They can't just make a decision, throw it over the wall, demand a report to, to tell them that it's finished. It's it's modeling the behavior and total connection of, of being aware of what the team's doing, right? You don't need necessarily reports. You just need to have your check-ins and, you know, you're inspecting adapt demos and, and participate in that. You'll get all the information you need to make the next decision. Uh, but, um, it, it, you can't be disconnected and just demand paper reporting in an agile world. It just, to me, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that to me either. And when I talk about is visibility, you have to be visible and you have to walk the talk. So I highly encourage management teams to actually work as, as agile teams and inspect and adapt and make that work visible. And just like we want to keep work visible at the project level, we want to keep the transformation work visible as well so that everybody understands this is really, this is, Truly, yet this is not just the latest management fad, and it'll go away. And there's a, a there's a deep level of psychological awareness that leaders need to have about how people react to change and what it take what it takes. And it's it's really very interesting about how our reactions to change are hardwired into our brains. Well, and, and um, as I was going to say, as one of our friends say all, all the time, John Gates has has a great quote that says. Uh, you know, the, the soft skills, we call it soft, but nobody ever really trains them. And they're really hard. They're really hard to do. They're really hard. But almost yeah. everything we're talking about is increasing your soft skill approach. And, and it's so important. And I don't think it's been recognized just how important it is. I have a, um, Bob Martin was one of my very first, um, Uncle Bob, you know, 
was one of my very first Agile mentors, and he, we were talking it in 2011 about some of this kind of stuff, and he, he gave me this great quote. He, I said something about companies changing and organizations changing. He looked at me and he said, Tamara, companies don't change. People do. And I'm like, oh, right. Of course. You know? Yeah. We, it, it, it is. It, it really is about people and about how people react to change and making sure that people are comfortable. People and processes than technology. Always has been, always will be. Um, we're going to go yeah. ahead and take a break right here, and uh, we'll be right back with our final segment with Tamara Runyon uh, right after this break. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. In today's hyper-fast, super-competitive business world, on time is now too late. On budget is now too expensive. And today's innovation is tomorrow's antique, which means app releases that used to happen regularly now need to happen continuously, while always delivering experiences that keep your customers coming back for more. In other words, you need to be agile, and there's no better way to get there than with agile management from CA Technologies, a complete set of solutions and services that make agility a reality, so you can anticipate and rapidly respond to change and immediately incorporate customer feedback, build a flexible bridge between ideas and execution, and transform app delivery from an endpoint into an always-on part of your development lifecycle while ensuring an exceptional service experience. So be the one who wins. App after app, day after day, with Agile Management from CA. Winning in the application economy means executing a business strategy that gets the hottest products and apps out the door and into market faster than ever before. But what happens when hot is suddenly not? Can you instantly pivot and prioritize your plans and investment portfolio to react to the new reality and make sure your strategy is right on target? You will with CA Project and Portfolio Management, the proven solution that enables agile, effective decision-making across your entire investment portfolio. Unlike other tools, CAPPM is designed to work the way you do. Doers are empowered, planners are enabled, helpers are elevated, and customers are engaged. All while you maximize performance and portfolio value. It's little wonder that CAPPM is the industry leader with more than 2 million happy users worldwide, not to mention world-class consulting and implementation partners. So why not give CA Project and Portfolio Management a closer look and make everything you've got put you out in front? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to our final segment of the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, the first show of 2019, part of it. 
so coming back to Tamer, Tamer, we, we normally like to to have the fourth segment because we tend to you know bounce around, jump around on a lot of different topics. Was there anything that that you wanted to make sure that we got across that that we didn't have a chance to discuss with the audience? I think so. I think it's what I want to what I want to reemphasize is um, around the area of leadership behavior and how we model what we we model the behavior that we want others to adopt so that we can create. Um, the the environment that we need to have for that collaborative work to be done, and um, part of that is creating shared purpose. We know that we know through research that having purpose is is extremely important. Purpose actually drives engagement, and that's what we want to get. Is we want to get get engagement from the people that we work with to be able to solve these complex problems. And part of that of doing that is to to create this shared purpose. So you need to be really, really clear about your priorities. Um, and you need to be very, very clear about what your priorities, what you say your priorities are and how the behavior um, and the processes that you are expecting people to follow, how do they relate to those priorities. If there's a disconnect, there, people are always going to follow what you do rather than what you say. And so you need to make sure that there's a, a, a strong connection there. Um, and you can do this by building vivid, memorable rules of thumb. Here's the way that we want to think about this. Here's these guidelines, these principles, rather than step-by-step, step, do this process, do this process, do that process. That's too limiting. So create, create those rules of thumb. Create those, understand what your values are and what, your, what the purpose is. And then those rules of thumb, make sure the metrics that you use, you're measuring what really matters. And making sure that the metrics that, you know, what you're measuring, those metrics are going to generate the behaviors you want rather than the behaviors that you don't want. Very often I see these vanity metrics out there that generate, um, and you know, not positive behaviors. Um, another piece is to be sure and be inclusive. Get everybody involved. Ask for, ask for advice. Ask for opinions. Um, get people, the people that are closest to the work, make sure you're asking them, how do you think we should do this? Um, create community and leverage change agents. You'll have different, and it doesn't matter what their title is, you'll have different people who, who just naturally other folks flock to. They have that EQ, and they are influential throughout the organization. Leverage them. Get them on board. And be honest. Be on, truly honest. Don't sugarcoat the truth. People know at, at various levels when, when they're not being honest with, when somebody's being dishonest. So be honest. Don't sugarcoat the, the truth. If, if, if we tried something and it didn't work, perform it. You know, go through and make sure we're, we're focusing on retrospectives and what's happened and how can we get it better and look for that incremental improvement. Those would be some of the things that I would focus on. That's fantastic. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And how, do, how does the audience find you? Oh, you can reach me. You can go to my website at AppliedScrum.com. You can reach me through my email, Tamara at AppliedScrum.com. And you've got a ton of papers out there, too. All those can be found on your website or, or various searching? No, they're, they're out on various publications, yeah. Outstanding. So I do have so, a research page and a, a resources page, and there are a few things out there as well. And I saw that you, you worked with Infotech at one point as well. We're, we're big fans of them. Yes. Whether, whether you still are or not, I'm just teasing. <laughs> we're, we're big fans of the work they do. I'm a big fan of, uh, from a research perspective, and giving you the guidance of, of how to complete it versus just telling you what other people are doing. 
Uh, so mm. I've, I've really enjoyed a lot uh, of what Infotech brings. Um, so finally, too, uh, we like to ask all of our guests, uh, what is some of the best advice you've ever received? I've received a lot of, a lot of good advice. Um, I work with some really, really interesting, um, extremely, extremely experienced people, especially sitting on the board of the Agile Alliance for a number of years. I think one of the ones that stands out the most for me was something that Diana Larson, an observation by Diana Larson, we were talking about the nature of, com- of complex systems, and she made the observation that doing the work changes the nature of the work, and that really struck me, and I, I wrote it down, and I actually keep it, I keep it in a little book that I refer to uh, over and over again, because I have to recognize that we have to respond to what is, not what we think should be. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Any <laughs> final words for the audience? Well, I thank you for listening, and I hope that this has been helpful. Um, I'm looking to um, to get these ideas in a little bit more formality, and pre- I'm looking to hopefully present them at a conference soon, maybe at Agile 2019. Well, we look forward to seeing you there. I know uh, I know several of us that are, are planning to be out there for that one, so we would look forward to you there. We get to meet in person, maybe that would be awesome. That would be great. All right. Well, Tamara, we thank you so much for joining the Work-Life Balance and sharing your knowledge. We'd love to have you back. So uh, you have an open invitation to come back and and chat all things Agile with us. Oh, thank you. I'd love to. I will take you up on that. All right. So next week, we're going to have Pamela Tripp uh, on uh, the show with us, uh, and we'll have a great conversation uh, with her. We've got Jesse Smith coming up on January 18th. He's a a great friend of mine. actually comes out of the entertainment industry, works with us on the John Maxwell team. Uh, and then we have Laura Brandenburg on the 25th, who I freaked out today thinking that her show was today. So, uh, yeah. And uh, so she, she got a nice wake-up call from me on that one. But that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Uh, but we've got some fantastic guests, fantastic shows lined up. Um, we're, we're lining up and, and have the March event for the John Maxwell team all ready to go. And then, of course, you know, the fun little side project, uh, the Mickey Mouse Club reunion, official 30-year reunion that we're the executive producers of. Uh, that is going to be happening in May in Orlando. You can find your tickets there at MMC uh, Mickey Mouse Club Reunion.com. If you have any questions about the John Maxwell team, Agile, anything else, you can certainly reach us at rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com or rick at rick a. Morris. And with all of that, we bid you a fantastic Friday. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Work Life Balance. You've been listening to Rick Morris. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.